Thank you for joining Downstate Abbey. I appreciate all of you tuning in as we're all trying to stay on top of some issues that are directly impacting lives here in New York State. We have the privilege today of hearing from an educator who serves in an urban area here upstate who spoke to us several months ago. And I just wanted to give him an opportunity to share what he has seen in recent months. A lot of these school districts have been forced into either closures or fully virtual learning or a combination of all of the above, you know, some in person, some virtual. And I would just like for everyone to hear from his perspective what this impact has been, you know, on, on him as an educator, on fellow educators, and on most importantly the kids and families who are served by the public education system. So I'll go ahead and hand our time and attention over to you and uh, let you just share a little bit. So go ahead. Well, thanks for having me on again. Um, obviously, since last year, not much has improved a whole lot. But starting with last year, you know, from March till June, everybody was shut down. And uh, one thing that's kind of come to be with the um, remote learning is the terms asynchronous and synchronous. Asynchronous being there's a teacher present and actively there teaching or there while the kids are working, asynchronous being that the kids are working on their own. So last spring, a lot of what was going on was asynchronous. The teachers putting the work out there and then, uh, you know, and then the kids doing the work. Um, it really didn't matter if the kids did the work or not. Everybody passed last year. Okay. Um, so I read an article the other day that said that basically kids in America right now, on average, school kids under the, under grade 12 are on average eight months behind in school so you can imagine there's a huge deficit there and that article came out earlier in the fall um so that being said with what's going on now i mean the online education has gotten better um there's a lot more synchronous education happening now but it's by no means a substitute for in-person learning um you know sports haven't really been happening as normal. Um, it's uh, it's it's just it it's subpar education across the board. Um, the kids that are missing out the most are public school kids uh, and and students that are less less fortunate, if you will. Um, you know, so if you don't have as much support at home. Uh, whether it be, you know, anything from parent support to nourishment to learning environment, um, you, you're missing out even more. But all students uh, that are not in person right now are getting a substitution. The, um, and that's not to say teachers aren't working hard to try to do their job, but this is completely as a COVID response from our government is, you know, basically putting kids at a huge education. Uh, um, yeah. Now, some kids are doing, uh, now my child goes to Catholic school. Catholic schools and private schools have been five days a week. That's a step up, um, which brings me to the next point, though, is even in school, if your child is in school some days where, you know, we have some kids that are going to school one day a week, hybrid, two days a week, hybrid. And they're referring that to, you know, the, the mix, hybrid being the mixing of, uh, and I realize I'm 
you know a lot of these things, but for people listening that may not, I'm just kind of explaining it yeah, as it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the hybrid blending, the online and in-person, um, but the, even with my daughter being in-person five days a week, it's still a subpar educational experience because these kids are, they're masked all day long in school, mm -hmm. um, which physically, mentally, emotionally is, is not healthy in any way. Um, and then you have um, all the other restrictions in school, like my daughter, for example, um, my, da my daughter is, she struggles uh, with, with reading and, and spelling, um, okay. reading, writing type of stuff. She does really well with her other subjects, but that's an area where she needs more help. The teacher can't come to her desk. They, they you know, this is, the teacher can't come to the child's desk to help the child. You know, and this is, you know, and, and it may not even be a situation where educational help is needed. Maybe like an emotional support is needed. And this distance still has to be there, you know, the, you know, especially with the younger children, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's not good. It's damaging. It's subpar all the way around. And even if your child is in school five days a week, they're not receiving a normal education. Sports, you know, like most sports, if not all, have been canceled. Um, and, you know, now they're trying to get those going a little bit, which I find to be a bit out of order and out of sync because shouldn't, in my opinion, as an educator and a parent, school comes first. Even as, like, you know, my kid plays a sport, I played three sports in school, one out of school. School comes first before sports. Kids need to be full-time in school before we integrate sports and athletics. Now, and I'm, I'm very pro-sports, pro-athletics. I want to see the kids play. But if a kid can't go to school, but they can play football, basketball, baseball, whatever the case may be, that to me, that's the most nonsensical thing that I can think of. Yeah, it does seem out of order, especially, you know, if you've got kids at recess that they're not even allowed to play tag or touch each other, or like you said, with the teacher not being able to come to the desk. Well, if a child is masked, everybody's masked, you know, why can't there be <laughs> closer physical contact? Like, none, it just, there's so much that doesn't make sense and is so contradictory. It must be incredibly frustrating as an educator, I would think, because there's, it's almost like having one hand or both tied behind your back, on, you know, on a good day, like you're you're trying to do your job, educate these kids, and it has to be unbelievably challenging. Um, what, what's been your perspective in terms of, like, what percentage of kids do you think are actually logging in, and I'm going to the vantage point of you as an educator right now, um, what, what percentage of kids do you think are logging in? What, what's the criteria by which are the, is everybody going to pass, whether or not they've actually learned any of the material? I mean, we're halfway into the yeah. school year at this point, That'll so... Let, okay, moment. yeah, just share with there that. There may be some extenuating circumstances. There may be uh, high school may be a, a, a little more critical. I mean, the, the K through eight, it, it doesn't, the K through eight, there's, I don't know about most schools, but I know mine in particular. We don't do, uh, we, we don't, there's, I forget what they call it, but they basically do what's called social promotion. So in, in K through eight, 
whether you pass or not, there's no retaining kids to a grade anymore. Um, you know, the, uh, the minimum in, in my district in particular, they did, they've done, um, years ago, they can't, you can't give a kid lower than a 55 on anything. Um, and even if they don't do it, you know, uh, 55 is the grade that's given. And the theory behind that is it makes it so it's, it's not mathematically impossible for the kid to pass if they start to decide to do work. And they recently changed that to 60%. So you can't give lower than a 60%. And you can't fail a kid with a 61, 62, or 63 because it's too close to a 65. So you can kind of see where that's headed. Yeah. Um, and a lot, I know in many cases, um, if you are not, if your kids aren't all passing, there's a lot of various types of pressures mm. uh, put on the teachers to uh, get the kids to pass. Whatever it takes, um, yeah, yeah. You know, like, uh, mm. like it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's not a, why aren't you doing the work, Johnny, or why aren't you doing well in this class, Johnny? It's... Uh, the pressure's put on the teacher. There's a lot of, uh, you know, it becomes, uh, it, pressure and hassle if your, if your kids aren't passing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing that's necessarily like hard in writing, but they're really pushing teachers to, uh, make sure that their kids are, are passing the class. Yeah. And I, I um, it's such a disservice. I've about attention, uh, attendance. Uh, that percentage, um, and I've talked to other teachers that are saying similar things, but I'd say you're on average between 50 and 75% attendance rates, and then the amount of kids in there that are doing the work, uh, that percentage would go down from those numbers, and then the amount of kids that are actually really, you know, really efficiently doing the work and, 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 you know, doing well on it, that obviously that percentage would go down a little more from there. Yeah. What I'm seeing now is, you know, the, the, the educational gap is growing by the day. Yes. That's a huge problem. But what seems to be being neglected more than, more and more is the, emotional and mental and developmental and social impacts, negative all the way, of Mm -hmm. this COVID response with with the remote and hybrid learning because uh, these kids are really, I mean, like, they, your child had a, a year of their existence pretty much ripped away from them. Now, they may have had some good times in those years. They may have still had, depending on how you know what what how the parent feels they may have still had some some interaction some experiences but especially get the seniors from last year the seniors from this year um you know especially high school kids that maybe were on track to have some kind of scholarship uh for sports or for you know you know clubs and things that they may be in i mean the suicide rate in the United States is up 300%. A huge portion of that is younger people. And that should, that in and of itself is so telling to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
you know, there's no other explanation for what made that happen. You know what I mean? I can even say for myself that at times in the past year, you know, I feel very, uh, you know, very hopeless. Like I'm not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. We're not being told about the light at the end of the tunnel. And in fact, what we're seeing now is COVID restrictions still increasing, still persisting. Um, and we're starting to see that light being taken away. Like the vaccine seemed like that was now, I see a lot of teachers there. It opened up for them to get it. There's, you know, a lot going on there with that. Um, and, uh, and, and the problem is now it's do all this variant. It may not work. And basically what's happening now is you're seeing, they're saying, get the vaccine, pushing the teachers, you know, to get the vaccine. And now leading into this year, leading into next year, New York State looks like we're going to get the bailout money, it looks like, and they're talking about reopening some schools that are shut down right now in my district. But all now they're talking about a pod model where, you know, we're going to be, you know, kind of increasing. Where kids that are already doing a hybrid, they're going to up them a little bit. Kids that are remote will stay remote. And they're talking about situations now where we're going to have kids in rooms, in partition decks, desks where every kid's in like a plexiglass pod and the teacher's not even in the same room with them and they're teaching remotely from another room. I mean, this is, to me, yeah, crazy. And especially to think, if this vaccine works like they say it's supposed to, and I've read the results, they, they say 94, 95%. You read the studies on it, that's actually pretty inaccurate. It actually has 100% efficiency. And I'm not... I'm not necessarily, I'm, I'm not saying pro-vaccine or not. I'm just saying the facts are it has, you know, it has 100% efficiency rate. It's the way that they did the test is shows 94, 95%. But with that being said, why are we moving, you know, why are we, why are we moving away from getting back to normal? Why are we moving in some cases further away from it? it, it and with the schooling, this is not, we're guaranteed next fall is not going to be returning to normal school, normal sports. That is a done deal. Your, your child will experience at least another year of what they're experiencing now. And that should be very frightening to anyone that's hearing that. Yeah, it really should, because like you said, I mean, these these kids are being treated in a manner that is kind of subhuman, if you ask me. And I, I don't think that we're looking at the child holistically. I don't think we're looking at society holistically with a lot of these implementations. I just don't. It, there's so much that's contradictory. There's so much that doesn't make sense. And there's, there's been, you know, dropped ball after dropped ball after dropped ball on part of leadership. And at some point, I think that the people really need to stand up and say, you know what, enough is enough. If we're going to throw 30 grand per child per school year into public education, it's got to do better than this. I'm sorry, but it does. I mean, we're not raising bots. We're raising children. We're raising the next generation. And like you said, there's just so much that's being completely ignored with regard to their safety, with regard to their development. And I, I want to ask you, and I don't know if, if you would have the answer, but 
truancy, you know, I mean, it was considered neglect. If, if a child misses, you know, X amount of days in a quarter, you know, it, it'll trigger a call to CPS, CPS will get involved. Is any of that happening with this remote learning? I mean, if you have kids that are just not showing up to any class at all, and I, I'm not trying to throw parents under the bus because I know a lot of parents are, are up to their up to their neck, barely keeping themselves afloat with work, with multiple kids. I, I get that, but these high-risk communities, these at-risk kids, what, what's being done with virtual learning to ensure that they're safe, especially if they just go radio silent and nobody hears from them and no, they don't check into a class for days, weeks at a time? Or is that anything that you're privy to? Um, I know CPS it has their caseload, which was already overwhelmed. I, I talked to a couple social workers and probation officers that I'm friends with. They are more inundated than ever. I bet. Um, I know there's a lot of domestic calls and, and such going on, um, coming in all the time. Uh, a couple of my friends that are police officers are, you know, same type of thing. The, the domestic type of calls are through the roof. Um, yeah. One of the things that, though, as far as, like, your kids aren't showing up for class uh, or not, you know, involved in schooling anymore, and I mean, it's crazy, but we've, there are still kids this fall that were waiting on getting Chromebooks and, and electronic devices to be able to, um, to be able to actually do the work and connect. So, you know, those those kids basically went, I mean, you know, through last spring with nothing, through parts of this fall with nothing. Yeah. Um, and uh, to answer the question about who's reaching out with that stuff, uh, to my understanding is it's mostly teachers, principals, and, you know, social workers through the schools that are reaching out with that. Like C CPS, I haven't heard a lot of educationally based calls with them but or concern calls with them that they have to go out on but they're definitely going out on uh like unsafe domestic situations yeah yeah it, it's it's a perfect storm, really, for everything that harms children to just have a chance to grow exponentially during this whole time. I mean, I just saw, I saw on a news outlet, and and we weren't we weren't told to be outraged about this, so a lot of people probably missed it. But a seven year old boy, Newburgh, New York, house of horrors. They went in. This this kid was basically starved to death. They they bring a body out of this house, and it just. It makes me wonder how much is going on that we'll never see the light of day. I mean, we're talking about a boy who was starved to death. I'd be willing to bet that if, you know, and maybe yes, maybe no, but I'd be willing to bet that probably if school were completely open for him, most parents, especially if there's addiction issues in the home, they want their kids gone during the day. Like like school is a chance for them to be kid-free for six hours. You know, at least that's what I see in the community that I work in. And so for that to not be an option for a lot of families, these kids are trapped. I mean, a lot of them are trapped. And I'm, I'm not trying to sound overdramatic or anything like that, but we, we can't ignore the fact that public education has provided a bit of safety safety net in a lot of ways. And I really, really worry about us just kind of weakening these safety nets and endangering our kids. The rates of illiteracy prior to this were like 14%. I can only imagine what they're growing into now, because if everybody's passing, that's kind of the cruelest thing that you can do to a kid is just push them through whether or not they have the proficiency skills to go to the next grade level. So 
I'm just seeing this as a parent, as a citizen, as just a recipe for disaster, especially if nothing's really being done in a really productive way to bring back in-person education, which in my opinion is needed. I mean, I think that we could <laughs> we could definitely implement technologies to instruct kids. I mean, I don't think that we necessarily need a person with a master's degree in education standing in front of every group of kid of kids, you know, to instruct, but we do need we do need people there to look after the kids, help them where they need help, and I just I guess I'm discouraged to hear, you know, from you that there really aren't plans moving in that direction right now. But like you said, high-risk sports which I'm not opposed to either, back on, but we've got kids that can't even have a teacher come over to them and help them with their math homework, like like you, you know, mentioned. So yeah, there there's a lot of work to be done, it sounds like. <laughs> and that's Well and that's you know, using that word too, the the like high risk, um, you know, I kinda look at it with uh, you know, some of the things we've now they're finally coming out, you know, asymptomatic spread is very rare. They're, you know, depend, a lot of people like to put a lot of weight in what Dr. Fauci says and he himself said, schools, safest place to be, very low transmission rates. Right. You know, and this is where I'm, I'm looking at this going, well, if, if that's the case, then why are, why are we moving oh why are we moving in the wrong direction here exactly and um you know when you got somebody like Cuomo that has said straight out he doesn't understand why the why the old style of um education still persists he thinks that this has been an enormous success remote learning and, and obviously he's completely out of touch and creates his own reality but yeah. this is that's not accurate you talk to anybody in education and they're going to tell you even if they're an optimistic teacher you know even if they're uh, a democrat died in the wool drinking a kool-aid they're not going to tell you that this is a great thing where there's no issues and there's no obstacles you know, um, I will say that teachers have had, you know, they, they've basically been thrown in the water here and had to learn how to swim on their own for the yeah. most part as far as, you know, online yeah. classrooms, online converting all of the curriculum over to being uh, able to be delved out in this online method and, uh, you know, engaging students. The one thing I'll say is that teachers have been, you know, really working overtime with this, and it may be working in a different way, but I mean, they're doing a good job with this, and they're trying their best. The issue is, the issue is, is top down here. Yeah. And we I... need to see a change, you know, right now, and we are seeing some changes where you see right now, Catholic schools and private schools in America are at an all-time high 30-year enrollment high. Well, why, why did that change in the past year? Because parents want kids in school. They want their kids in school. They want their kids to get an education. Yeah. Um, and they need to go to work. Yeah, there's that too. You know, and that's, so this is, you know, this is uh, I very troubling to, to see that, that we're not headed towards normalcy as in our social lives and we're not headed towards normalcy in our professional lives. And certainly in education that we're not headed towards 
normalcy. So I, I don't know. I, for me, it's very frustrating. And on the flip side, I'm really at a crossroads here where and I'm not happy with either direction. And I'll leave you with this. Uh, I would like to be teaching in person, but I really dread the thought of going back to school uh, with restrictions, this pod model, wearing masks for eight hours a day plus. Um, I don't, I don't, when I think about that, I don't even know how I can do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, part of me says, geez, I almost kind of hope it stays the way that it is. Part of me wishes I could go back to work, separate work and home, have my students in front of me, physically in front of me, where I can really do the best job for them. Right. Um, it's, it's, I'm really hoping, although I, I don't have a lot of hope for it, but I'm really hoping that something changes in the next six months before we transition into the next school year, because uh, right now, this is, this is not this is not the way our children should be educated and it's not the way that our children should be living. No, it, it's not working. And if we all really want to admit that we're all being part of the greatest human experiment since the dawn of mankind, we really are. So if, if I think yeah. the, the freedom to choose really needs to come to light here, that if, if I choose that I want my children to be in school, in person every day, I don't want their face covered up with a, with a mask that has all kinds of microbes growing in it and I want them to breathe like human beings are intended to breathe. I want them to have face-to-face -face interaction with other students. I don't want them wired up to the internet for every waking hour of their day. There needs to be the freedom to make that choice because there are risks regardless. There's huge risks. There's huge risks being taken with the lives and well-being of children who are being really forced and families that are basically being held hostage to a system that's saying your kid is going to be uh, wired up to the internet for most of their waking hours and just work it out make it make it work and it's really not fair to give people no option especially when people are pumping money into a system that it's not working it's not working and i'm not criticizing teachers and saying that i'm just pointing to the obvious here it's it's really not working so we're taking a chance whether whether people believe that their kids should be covered in a mask for eight hours a day and sit in front of a glowing screen you know what if, if you want that reality for your kid and you think that's the quote safest and most beneficial end quote then you know what i guess i guess that's freedom that you should be afforded if i do not believe that that is in the best interest of my child and I'm concerned about the mental health issues that are soaring and the actual brain damage that's caused by having children wired up to electronics for too many hours of their day, then I should be afforded the freedom to make choices that best serve my children. And hopefully that is what's going to happen is people will have options because anything short of that is complete overreach on the part of the government. It just is because we're, we're losing our kids in this. We're, we're failing them. And let's be really honest here and say that public education wasn't in a really great spot before mid-March 2020 either. So we really no, need to... Not. We need to look at it very holistically, look at our kids holistically, and look at the reality. And, and like you said, follow the science. Why in the world are whole school districts shutting down, forcing kids to be in households where like 70% of new infections were supposedly happening in households, 
Oh, you know, and that gives people the option of either A, dump your kid into a daycare where they can mix it up with kids from different school districts, or B, they get to go to grandma, Grammy and Papa's house, which, you know, that's the elderly population that we're trying to protect. So none of this makes sense. You follow the science. Well, there's you can. something you mentioned, you daycare. Uh, you know, daycares, this is, a, this is another thing that makes no sense to me. Yeah, they've been open it's, from day one. out of school. <laughs> yeah. And they go to daycare. Right. They don't wear a mask. They don't socially distance. Right. Yeah, these daycares are pretty much okay. Like, there's been a few that have, you know, shut down for a week here, week there. Um, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, You'd expect that. My daughter's daycare shut down for a week, actually, because my daughter had COVID. Well, it had, so, yeah. You know, they, but that's it. You know, like, the daycares. So, how, it's not safe to be in school. But it's safe to be where there are protocols in place that allegedly work. But there, but they can go to a daycare where, again, no mask, no social distancing. You know, uh, sharing food like there's absolutely these daycares that be run, are running fairly normal. Yeah, they and, are. Um, you know, it's it's like, but that's okay. And I would implore, I, I'd implore any parent that's you know just. At least have an open mind and look into some of this where you're looking, look into, you know, you mentioned the safety of masks, like health-wise, like physically health-wise, you know, breathing. I'd look into some things like what is the actual, what, like throughout, like historically, what were masks used for? What have they signified symbolically, you know, when people were forced to wear them? Uh, by the way, very often slaves were forced to wear a mask. There's something really... really there's, there's a whole psychological dynamic. Yeah, no, there's a psychological dynamic well, for sure. And yeah, absolutely, there, there's a psychological dynamic to it. There's, um, you know, and to look into, um, you know, look into the educational gap that, that we're very clearly seeing. Absolutely. Is, none of this right now, the, the bottom line is, when you look at what we've been doing to try to prevent the spread and all these things or slow the spread, the bottom line is this, this virus, regardless of what measures have been put in place and various places have put different measures in, you know, state to state, country to country, people have taken a different approach. The bottom line is we're not seeing a lot of differences. This is kind of like following its natural course, regardless of what we try to do to intervene here. The problem that is undeniable is that the peripheral effects and damages from the various protocols that are being put into place in regards to the virus, those are undeniable. Absolutely. The substance abuse. Absolutely. The emotional issues. The suicide rate being up, the domestic violence, the dom domestic issues coming up. Absolutely. Nourishing, nourishment issues with, with kids. Some of these kids, when they come to school, you know, we have, we have in our school, we have a hundred percent free lunch rate. Uh, it's, it's through a grant through Walmart. Um, and they do free breakfast, free lunch. And then we have a backpack program where kids can, you know, bring food home overnight and then for the weekend. And, you know, this, these, that's where these kids are getting their food from. Yeah. You know, and this is not, yeah. this needs, something's got to change here because, uh, you know, as much as, you know, 
There's plenty of people that didn't like our former president. The one thing that he said is that the cure can't be worse than the disease itself. And what we're seeing is exactly that. What we are trying to implement as the cure, the solutions, the preventions, are causing more damage than the virus itself. And I'm not saying that the virus is very real. I had it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. It. My daughter had it. My mother had it. My father had it. I could rip off two dozen of my friends. Yep, and absolutely. Other family members that have had it. Um, now I could tell you, and and my, you know, my mother, she got very sick with it, but she's okay now. Um, expectedly, got got very sick with it. It was that was not hard to see coming. Um, but, and I'm not going to say that it's not real, but the hysteria and. You mentioned earlier, you said something with the seven-year-old boy that was starved to death. You said the media didn't tell us to be concerned about it. Mm-hmm. That right there is a very telling statement because we're being told what, you know, what, where to place our fears and our concerns. And that is, is, is where those peripheral damages are really occurring because that's where the virus is very real, but the uh, the hysteria and other things that that have been forced upon us and forced into us, those are where the issues lie. Absolutely, and we can't ignore the the epidemics that are running parallel to this, which is the substance abuse epidemic, the mental health epidemic, among other things. So it's it is we need to be able to, I believe, as Governor Cuomo said, walk and chew gum at the same time, which I'm I'm not real certain that he's able to do that on any level, as you know, recent investigations are pointing out. But the damage that's being caused is is really something that is. It's impossible to quantify right now, but we we as the people really need to stand up, especially for communities in which there's kids who aren't as fortunate as yours or mine, who, you know, there's not food insecurity. There are parents who are going to make sure work is done and look after their safety. And unfortunately, there's been a lot being done to our societies with regard to the bail reform, which puts domestic violence perpetrators right back out into the streets and into the homes that they're victimizing, the COVID-19 jailbreak. And then in addition to that, the mask wearing, no one can deny it. It does embolden crime. People are able to get away with virtually anything because they're unrecognizable, undetectable. And and those are things that need to be talked about. And we need to have a, a more, I'll use the word again, holistic approach to this because because we are causing untold damage. And I, I wish we had more time today because I really do value your insight and your opinion and your perspective. And maybe we can um, convene again and talk a little bit more about it because I'm sure there's an awful lot we could talk more about. But in closing, I'd like to give you an opportunity to just leave any final thoughts you may have to our listeners. Um, well, you know, the, 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 these, the, our children... Are, they're our legacy, they're our future. Um, you know, me as an educator, I, you know, I live that. So, and I have a child. So, you know, here's the thing right now that I think that people need to be left with is your child's education is everything as far as, you know, their future. And their social and emotional wellness is also the everything as far as their building blocks going forward their memories of their childhood their experiences that will make them uh who they are as an adult and all of that right now 
is in a very warped reality, uh, and it, this this is often are are overlooked in this. You know, throughout this entire past year, children have have come last in in every discussion and every thought, and um, this is even with schools. The the kids will be all they talked about was how the kids would be super spreaders and bring the virus home and kill everyone. And <laughs> exactly. You know, no one's talking about how this virus is, or how the re, how how our kids how our kids are being impacted here. Like this is your you just had a year of we just had a year of our kids' lives that were completely damaged at, at, at a minimum. Uh, you know, I I I'll just say that and. People need to start really thinking that you know what what world do you want your child to grow up in? Because the what you know and what education do you want them to have? How, what do you you know what I mean? This is yeah, absolutely. Education, emotional wellness, and mental health yeah. should be the number one importance to you, and it's and it should really be important to everyone, even if it's not your child. Because really, absolutely, you know, again. All of our children, they, they are our legacy. They are our future. They are the ones that eventually need to take the reins. Absolutely. And I got news for everyone out there. There's a lot of them right now that aren't going to be ready to do that. Absolutely. And I can only imagine the failure in life that it sets kids up for on so many different levels to not be able to relate to others, to not... Um, ha- be proficient in different skills that'll be necessary to make a living for themselves and their family. I mean, the, the disaster is is just completely beyond the realm of being able to be measured by any metric man has, you know, and I, I hope and pray that there are better days ahead because for us to kind of just ignore this and slide with it, it's really not going to end well and I think the day will come where our kids will look at us and be like why didn't you do something (laughs) you know because this is not this is not the way to treat human beings and we all belong to each other so I need to be as concerned like you just mentioned about you know the child who is in the inner city who maybe hasn't eaten in days and who hasn't been online since you know, September, October, or even before that, or who has the drug addicted mother or the father who keeps coming back and and engaging in domestic violence. I mean, this needs to matter to all of us. And so I, I really appreciate your perspective. And like I said, I wish we had more time, but thank you for leaving us with that. And I think the takeaway here for all of us is we really need to look at all children like they they are our responsibility because they truly truly are they are our future as you reminded all of us so thank you so much for your time today and i certainly hope that we can yeah hopefully we can hear from you again thank you so much and for everyone listening do something amazing today and keep in touch take care thank you jim i appreciate it thank you absolutely and